You are listening to the First Tech Podcast. These podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, it's important you understand the content of this podcast may be difficult to follow, as it assumes you have the necessary training, qualifications and experience to understand the concepts discussed as well as the technical language used. If you still decide to listen, please understand the information contained in this recording is general information only and does not take into account any of your personal circumstances, needs or objectives. Any scenarios considered during this podcast are purely hypothetical and for illustrated purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. Unfortunately, recent share market falls have resulted in a reduction in super account balances for many clients. However, it's really important to remember that negative returns can also impact the tax components of a member's super benefits. So it's important to have a good understanding of how these rules work when providing super advice after a market downturn. I'm Kim Guest, and today I'll be interviewing the head of the First Tech team, Craig Day, who has recently written an article titled Understanding the Impact of Negative Returns on Super Tax Components. Hi, Craig. Hey, Kimbo. How are we? Good, good. How are you? Not too bad, not too bad. So we're talking tax components and negative returns. We are. Exciting. Well, not so exciting if you've been whacked around by by COVID-19. Well, in terms of economically, even worse if you if you've been impacted, I suppose, by in a health sense. But um, mm. yeah, it, it it really has. I mean, when when you go back and look, I think the market started to react to the the COVID nineteen uh, pandemic economically towards the end of February, uh, and we saw, I think, between the end of February and I think the the market hit a low point on the twenty third of March. I think we saw a total reduction there of approximately around 33 to 36% of, and that's the ASX 200. So we saw quite a, a significant shot. Now, markets have come back somewhat since then, but you know what? We did see many people doing, you know, the, the, the thing that they do when markets are collapsing is selling out on the way down. So even though markets have come back a lot, we may still have people that, uh, that could potentially have locked in a lot of those losses. Mm, which is really not very good for those people. Um, no, no. Yeah. And so from our advisor's point of view, I guess we really need to understand what the impact of that is on things such as their tax components before we go and making any recommendations such as rollovers and things. Absolutely. Critical, actually. So a lot in things like the in periods like this, when we have markets in absolute turmoil, a lot of people do focus on, on the actual account balance. Um, but they forget to think that uh, that those, you know, changes in balance values can also have a flow-on impact to, to tax components. And depending what a client situation is, um, it's really important to have an understanding of that because, you know, some some fairly simple types of advice that an advisor can can provide, such as you know, rollover advice or even contribution advice, actually can either have a negative impact or it could even also have a really positive impact in terms of the tax components of a of a member's superannuation balance. Okay. Well, before we get into all of that, um, could you please give us a bit of a refresher on how the tax-free and taxable components are calculated? 
Sure. So I think the, the first thing to look at is um, the calculation of tax-free component because there there is a two-stage process here that the Tax Act goes through to calculate the tax components of someone's superannuation. So um, this is all confirmed. I think it's around about Section 307 something, 307, 215 and 210, if you want to get really geeky in terms of the Income Tax Assessment Act. And, and what it does is it defines tax-free component first. So what you need to do is go and calculate that first. Now, tax-free component is simply the sum of a member's contribution segment and their crystallized segment. So if you don't know what those things are, first of all, contribution segment. Contribution segment is simply uh, the amount of the member's superannuation interests um, that consists of contributions made after 30 June 2007 to the extent that they have not been and will not be included in the fund's accessible income. So when you think about things like SG or, or personal deductible contributions, uh, they will get included in the fund's accessible income and therefore taxed at 15% generally. But it's all those other types of contributions that we don't pay tax on their way into the fund. So non-concessional contributions, that will add to contribution segment. Uh, contributions under the lifetime CGT cap, uh, downsizer contributions, spouse contributions, also things like uh, co-contributions made by, by the government. They all are not included in the fund's assessable income. They've been made on or after the 1st of July 2007. So therefore, they actually count towards our contribution segment. So in that point, it's quite important to note, it's actually the value of those contributions that count. Okay. Now, in terms of crystallized segment, now what crystallized segment is, is the sum total of all of the, the weird and wacky um, concessionally taxed components that we used to have prior to 1 July 2007. So if we remember all that way back when those rules changed, we used to have things like undeducted contributions, post-94 invalid, so contributions and component, um, post-94 invalidity component, uh, CGT yeah, exempt. Back yeah, it does, it does. <laughs> um, also, remember that old pre-July 83 component. So, you know, remember when we used to take a benefit, we used to take 5% of that pre-July 83 component, include that in our accessible income. Well, that's also included in that crystallized segment as well as the concessional component. So if you can remember back there, um, to what that actually was, you're probably doing better than I. But what what trustees needed to do um, back uh, at 1 July 2007 is they had to look into their systems and figure out what the sum total of all of those components were as at 30 June, and it had to crystallise that figure as a fixed amount, right? And so what we do is we then uh, to do, to determine our tax free component. We simply add up the value of our contribution segment. So I've already gone through those things like non-concessional contributions typically, as well as if we have any crystallized segment from uh, from pre-1 July 2007 interests, we add that together and that gives us our tax-free component. Now, in terms of taxable component, that's actually quite simple. It's, it's simply what's left over of the member's superannuation benefits after you've calculated tax-free components. So let's say, for example, you've got a client with $100,000 uh, in their superannuation account, and you know that, um, that two weeks ago they made a non-concessional contribution of, let's say, uh, $90,000. 
um, and their ba account balance is $100,000, then therefore you know that the tax-free is 90. So everything else left over is going to be taxable component. Okay. Well, that was a very good refresher. We've now got in our head how to calculate the tax-free and taxable components. So what happens then if a benefit is paid? So if I, for example, take a lump sum withdrawal from my super account, how does that impact the tax-free and taxable components? Yeah, really important because we don't just sit there and go, oh, well, my tax-free is, is based on the level of contributions I made, you know, five years ago when I've actually been taking out benefits. So if we, if we um, remember how the proportioning rules work, when we take a super benefit out of uh, out of a fund, what, the way those rules work is what we need to do is we need to go back and look at the proportion of tax-free to taxable component in the fund immediately prior to taking that benefit. And then we apply those same proportions to the actual lump sum that we're paying. And that is the, the split that we get between tax-free and taxable, right? So gone are the days that we used to be able to take, let's say, taxable in isolation. If the client does have some tax-free component in their superannuation interest, then some amount of that lump sum will be made up of, uh, of tax-free components. So to give you an example, if we go back to uh, the situation where, let's say, we've got a, an account balance of $100,000, we know that uh, $80,000 of that is our tax-free component based on our formula. Therefore, what that means is that uh, $20,000 is going to be taxable component. Now, let's just say um, today we've got that member wanting to withdraw $10,000 out. So we know the split between tax-free to taxable is actually 80-20. So what that would mean is that we would apply that split to that lump sum. So therefore, $8,000 of that lump sum is actually going to be tax-free component and $2,000 would be taxable component. So once we know that, what we're then required to do is then to deduct that $8,000 we're taking off that lump sum from that formula that we've already got. So if we've gone and calculated dollars $80,000, We've now taken a lump sum out, which is consisting of $8,000 of tax-free. Then that notional tax-free amount that we've got there based on the level of our contribution reduces from $80,000 down to $72,000. Okay. What about rollovers, though? Because I guess if I roll over to another super fund, that's kind of like a benefit payment, isn't it? What does that do to my tax-free component? Yeah, really, really good point. Um, so exactly the same thing. You're, you're, you're spot on there. So when we take a lump sum out of super, um, I've just been through those rules. But interesting to note that the tax rules, superannuation tax rules, deal with a lump, uh, sorry, a, a rollover as a lump sum benefit payment in its own right. So we apply those same proportioning rules to that to that lump sum that we're rolling over. So using that example before, if we rolled over this $10,000, then 8,000 of that 10,000 rollover is gonna be tax-free component and 2,000 would be taxable component. Now, so once again, two really important things here to note though, is first of all, once again, the sending trustee, the original fund that is sending this rollover to this new fund, it has to go and reduce, so if this is a partial kind of rollover, it has to reduce the amount of tax-free accordingly. So in this situation, it goes from 80 down to 72. But the other really interesting thing here is this receiving fund. So the receiving fund is now getting this rollover of $10,000 and that receiving fund trustee won't actually know 
what level of contributions was made to that uh, that original fund. So by rolling over in this situation, we're, we're kind of locking in um, that that amount. So in this situation, the receiving fund would, would not know the level of contributions that have been received. Um, so it would simply base the amount of tax-free in that in that fund based on the, the rollover benefit statement or the information provided by by the original fund. So it would simply say, okay, well, the amount of, of tax-free that we've got is going to include at least $8,000 from this rollover. Now, if that fund has other um, amounts already in it, um, then in that situation, there may be tax-free component there that it's calculated based on the contribution segment and the crystallized segment, and it would simply add that $8,000 into that. So we just add up that amount, add the $8,000 in, and that's your tax-free component in that fund. So re really important to understand here that the way these rules are, are working is, as I said before, that um, we base our tax-free on the amount of the contributions or and crystallized segment. So that's a notional kind of fixed figure, right? Um, and the only way that that's actually going to increase in this situation is if we make additional contributions or if that fund then receives a rollover of tax-free from someone somewhere else. Okay, so that tax-free component is kind of static unless someone makes a withdrawal or rollover. That's um, right, yeah. It's not going to change. So. Uh, or contributions of tax-free amount. But if, what about investment returns? So if that superannuation account has investment returns, what impact is that going to have on that tax-free component? Yeah, great question. So if we've got a static figure, so come back to what we talked about before. So we know our tax-free is a static figure and that taxable is everything that's left over. So for example, if I make a $100,000 non-concessional contribution, that all goes into my tax-free component. And then let's say I got $5,000 worth of investment return on that on that uh, contribution over 12 months. Well, if I went and looked at the tax components in that situation, I'm going to have $100,000 worth of tax-free based on my contribution segment. And then anything that's left over is going to be taxable. So that means that when you get investment return, that will all go to taxable component. Right. So investment returns is only impacting the taxable component. It's not impacting the tax-free component. But are there any situations when actually investment returns may impact the tax-free component? Yeah, there, there actually are. So, you know, it's one of these things you run through all these rules uh, and you get an understanding of how it all works. And then someone says, ah, oh, but, but in this situation, it's slightly different. Mm. And this is once again, right? So, and, and, while the, the calculation that I went through before, contribution segment plus crystallized segment, that still holds true. There is this point in time where you get negative returns where those negative returns may start to eat into the balance to the extent that it's actually fallen below the level of your contributions or your tax-free amount based on your contributions and crystallized segments. So once again, those figures kind of set a high, you know, those amounts set a high watermark. But if our balance falls below what that high watermark is, you can't have tax-free component that's more than the account balance, right? So in that situation, negative returns, where it actually reduces the member's total account balance to an amount that's less than the tax-free component, then clearly you start to reduce your tax-free component. Okay. So, so in that case, you've, you've reduced your, your tax-free component, so it's now equal to the account balance, I guess, at that, at that point in time. But what happens then when 
things improve, so investment returns improve, the account balance increases again, what happens to the tax-free component then? Yeah, great question again. So once again, if we, if we use the example of you know what happened post-February um, uh, this year, where we saw markets fall off a cliff, I think, let's say they dropped, you know, I think it was about 36% up until the 23rd of March. But since then, we've seen a recovery, right? So you may say, okay, well, since then, markets have, um, have perfect world, let's just say. Um, let's say you've, you've, got, you've recovered all of that loss. That hasn't actually happened in reality, but let's just use that mm. as an example. So we might have a situation where our $100,000 has reduced down to, let's say, uh, what did I say? 36%. So therefore, um, it's reduced down to, can you, what do I do my math? Is that 64? $64,000, right? <laughs> yep. yep. Um, primary school math is not working for me this morning. Um, <laughs> and then what happens is, let's say we get a uh, markets gradually recover back to where they were prior to February. Well, once again, it hasn't happened, but just for the sake of the example. Um, then in that situation, once again, those contribution segment and the crystallized segment set a high watermark. So as we get those returns come back into the account, they actually fill that tax-free component up first. So yes, you know how we talked about before where we get investment returns and that will go to, to taxable component. Well, once mm -hmm. again, think about how the calculation is working out. Our, our notional tax-free set at 100 We've reduced down to $64,000. We're now sitting at, let's say, $75,000. But if I was to ask for the tax components on that particular day, we'll go back and say, well, what are the total of your contributions in your crystallized segment? That's $100,000. The balance today is $75,000. So therefore, that's 100% tax-free. So from our low point of $64,000 back up to seventy-five, dollars or even all the way back up to one hundred. dollars all of that investment return coming back in after those negative returns actually fills our tax-free up back to that high watermark of $100,000. Once we go beyond that, then it's taxable component. Well, that's really good, isn't it? So they're not losing out on that tax-free component when things improve again. No, yeah, that's um, right. When they're still a, same, a member of that same fund. That's and, right. And what about... So investment returns fill that back up, back up to the high watermark, as you said. What they do, about yep. contributions? What, what, what oh. about if I make some super guarantee or salary sacrifice yeah. or personal deductible or even non-concessional? What happens to my tax-free component then? Yeah. Now, this is very interesting, right? So um, let's once again use this example where um, a member's made $100,000 non-concessional contribution to establish their, their superannuation fund. And, and let's just say that the balance of that fund then fell back to, to $75,000 due to negative returns. Now, if I was to then go and make a personal deductible contribution up to my concessional cap of $25,000, so assuming I don't have any SG, or if it was all SG, you get the same outcome. Um, now, what happens there is because that's a personal deductible contribution, I have to include that in the assessable income of the fund, right? So that then excludes that contribution from being counting towards my contribution segment. Because remember what we said, contribution segment is any contribution that is not included in the assessable income of the fund, but a personal deductible contribution is included in the assessable income of the fund. So you would think that that you know, $25,000, well, that's going to be taxable component. Actually, it's not in this situation, right? Because remember, our tax-free component is predicated based on that high watermark of $100,000 based on my non-concessional contribution to establish the fund. When I come in and make an additional $25,000 concessional contribution and then I ask for the tax components on the day following, 
they would simply come in and say, right, what is the level of tax-free? Well, Craig made a $100,000 non-concessional contribution, so the non-concert, the tax-free is $100,000. What is the account balance? Well, today it's $100,000. It was seventy-five yesterday. I've made a personal deductible contribution that's increased the value back up to $100,000. Ignoring contributions tax. So in terms of my tax components, my tax components would be $100,000 worth of tax-free. And in that situation, zero taxable. If I got, you know, if I if I was able to put in, let's say, thirty thousand dollars, maybe because I've got unused concessional contribution cap amount or something along those lines, then that contribution once again would fill up my tax-free up to that high watermark of a hundred thousand dollars, and then the extra five thousand dollars over and above um, the the twenty-five. So I put in thirty under the, the catch-up rules. Um, mm. Now I've filled my tax-free up to the high water mark. Now I've gone above it, so that extra five thousand is going to be taxable. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because you always think about deductible contributions to be taxable component, but this is one of the rare cases where we can actually that's right taxable contributions yeah. into tax-free component. That's right, and it's a real one a trap that you might think, oh, surely it's this is a assessable contribution, so therefore that has to count towards taxable. Not in all circumstances. Once again, as I, as I've proved to you, that if we do have some negative returns, um, that you can actually end up with that that counting. Now, that that not only is a trap, but it can also potentially be a strategy where a client is being impacted by negative returns and looking to maybe make a contribution and start a pension. But we'll we'll come back to that in a little while. Okay. Um, so. What about rollovers, though? What about if we're consolidating superannuation accounts? What impact does that have on the tax-free component? Ah, so as we talked about before, right, so with rollovers, um, they're treated very much um, if the amount is coming into a fund, um, then it, that could include some tax-free amount. Uh, and therefore, or, or could actually just be made up completely of taxable component. Depends on where the different tax components sit in the different funds, right? But the really important thing to understand here is if you move the wrong fund. So in a lot of situations when we're talking rollovers, we're talking rollovers in the context of actually consolidating funds. So you've got a member comes in to see you. Um, they want some advice. They've got two different funds sitting there. Uh, they're just about to retire. They would like to consolidate all of their superannuation uh, into the one fund before they commence one single retirement phase income stream. Now, if that client's just been through some negative returns and you have a look at those two different funds and you see that there's one maybe with everything in taxable component and uh, the other one with at least some amount of tax-free component, then you want to stop and actually think about that one, right? Because Depending on which fund you roll over, you could actually do the client a disservice by actually locking in a reduction in their tax-free component, right? So give you an example of that. Let's just say we've got a client, um, I've used this example all the way through, so let's keep it going. So Craig's made, uh, set up his his fund with, uh, let's say $100,000 non-concessional contribution. Uh, maybe this is I've set up a self-managed super fund. I'm all keen to have a self-managed super fund, uh, but I've also got a, another large fund that you know maybe I've had through a previous employment relationship, um, and I'm all keen. You know I want to manage my own super, and then I go through this COVID nineteen pandemic and the economic output from that, and you kind of misconstrue the the structure with the with the investments. 
And after a couple of months, you just go, God, this self-managed super fund stuff, it's not for me. Um, and you want to get out and, and in the process of that, consolidate your funds. Now, if I'm actually in that situation going to cash out my $80,000 from my self-managed super fund that used to be 100 and roll that over to my large fund, think about what that does. When we send that $80,000 over to the, the receiving fund, it has no idea about the level of concessional contributions I've made. It is simply being told, here's 80,000. Or not, sorry, <laughs> sorry. non-concessional. Yeah. yeah, no, you're yeah. right. Um, here's $80,000 that Craig's rolling over to large fund. Here's the tax components of that, and that is a 100% tax-free component. So that receiving fund then goes, great, we've now got an extra $80,000. I will add that $80,000 into um, that member's account. And let's say that's their only tax-free component. They don't have any tax-free component in the existing large fund. If I then get positive investment returns out of uh, that large fund account, guess where those returns are going to go to? They're going to go to taxable component because the receiving fund, once again, it has no knowledge of my contributions that I made to the previous fund. So therefore, that high watermark is set at $80,000, not at $100,000. Mm -hmm. So therefore, by rolling over the wrong interest, I actually lose the benefit of being able to fill my tax-free up to what it should be in this case of $100,000. Now, think about that on the flip side, though, because there's a nice, neat little strategy there, right? So what I could do is I'm sitting there saying, OK, Craig's got these two accounts. He wants to merge them. What I could do instead of sending the SMSF off to the large fund, I could actually do it the other way around. I could send the large fund into his self-managed super fund. And that is a 100% taxable component in that large fund. But when I roll it over into Craig's self-managed super fund, the trustee of that fund will go, well, right, what's the tax-free component of this fund? Well, it's $100,000 because that's based on his contributions segment. And that's based on the level of my non-concessional contribution. So his, uh, his tax-free component is currently sitting at $80,000 due to negative returns. I then go in and add, let's say, another $100,000 uh, of um, taxable component to that. What happens to the first $20,000 of taxable component? It fills my tax-free component back up to the $100,000. And then everything over and above that would just be taxable because you come back to that taxable component calculation of is simply what's left over after you calculate your tax-free. So moving the right fund, well, if you move the wrong fund, you actually lock in the reduction of tax-free. But if you move the right fund, what you actually do in that situation is you actually convert some of your taxable component into tax-free component. And then if I was then to turn around and start a, um, let's say an account-based pension, remember there when I start a pension, I lock in my tax components at, at commencement. By doing that, I'm actually maximizing my tax-free component in the pension phase compared to if I did it the other way, which had actually minimized my tax-free component, which had, might have estate planning implications down the track. So it's going to be really important to to check that tax-free taxable split before yeah, of absolutely. all the super accounts before absolutely. deciding which way. And and what I, and what I mentioned before I alluded to you you might have a client here in this in exactly the same situation that uh, that doesn't have two funds before they they want to start a pension. But remember what I said about concessional contributions. So what I could do there once again is I could make a concessional contribution using this example where I've made a $100,000 non-concessional contribution. I've got negative returns. My total balance now is $80,000. 
I could then go and make a personal deductible contribution to that account of $20,000. And then what that does is it obviously fills my tax-free back up to $100,000. So I've made a personal deductible contribution, but it counts towards my tax-free. And then I go and start a pension immediately. So that could potentially make you know, a personal deductible contribution allows me to actually generate a larger amount of tax-free um, income in retirement. Now, it's going to be tax-free after age 60, but it maximises my tax-free component in that situation. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good to know. So um, we've talked about you know, how the, the negative returns impact the tax-free component and some strategies to fill that bucket ups to the high water watermark again, maybe mm-hmm. with contributions or maybe with a rollover. Yep. But are there any other sort of strategies that advisors need to be aware of with this reduction, um, you know, in tax due to, due to the market downturn? Yeah, there is. And this is where you've got clients that uh, have maybe retired or declared retirement or they've got to age 60 and they've ceased an arrangement of employment. So therefore, they've satisfied that, uh, that condition of release around retirement. Now, the important thing to understand here is if you get negative returns, the superannuation rules aren't really that clear in terms of what happens where, let's say you've um, you've got to 60, you've changed a job after turning 60, you've told your super fund that, and they've all of a sudden rest- made $100,000 unrestricted non-preserved component. Whether that's taxable or tax-free, the tax components don't matter. We're now looking at the level of your unrestricted non-preserved component. Now, if you then go through the same example that we talked about for tax components, then what would happen is your balance would fall to $80,000. But what's not clear in the in the CIS legislation is what happens to any subsequent growth. Um, and depending on the view of the trustee and what sort of legal advice they've received, some trustees will lock the uh, the value of the unrestricted non-preserved component in at $80,000. And they'll say that any, uh, any subsequent growth from that point on will be fully preserved, whereas others will, uh, will set set it at the high water mark of $100,000. So your unrestricted non-preserved goes down to 80, then it goes back up, let's say, to 110. In that situation, you'd have uh, $100,000 unrestricted non-preserved and $10,000 worth of preserved. Now, important thing to note is that only applies where you've got a client that's maybe satisfied that retirement condition of release between preservation age and, and 65, I suppose, by declaring retirement and they never intend to return back to the workforce. So what that does is it makes that amount at that time, you make that declaration unrestricted, non-preserved. So mm-hmm. generally what happens is any growth in that situation that you subsequently get due to contributions or or investment returns, that will all be preserved, right? So if you if you want to go and, you know, you let's say you put in another $30,000, you've un- made $100,000 unrestricted, non-preserved, you've gone and made an additional contribution of $30,000 for some reason. If you wanted to pull that $30,000 out, you'd then have to satisfy another condition of release at, at that point in time. Um, the only change for that is where you've turned 65 because once you've turned 65 you've permanently satisfied a condition of release regardless of you know what happens in the future 
So therefore, um, turn 65, it doesn't matter. Your unrestricted non-preserve will go up and down with investment return. But um, for those people that have declared retirement or they've ceased an arrangement of employment after turning 60, once again, it's the amount of your benefits at that time that you satisfy that condition of release that's made unrestricted non-preserve. So once again, if you have negative returns, it's not abundantly clear in this legislation as to say, what do you do with that subsequent growth when it comes back? Some trustees will say, sorry, that's all preserved. Other trustees will say, oh, no, no, we'll work off the high watermark and allow you to access that. So um, in those kinds of situations, really encourage people to, to give the trustee or give the fund a call and actually ask that question. Okay. That's very good to know. Thanks for that, Craig. No um, problem, Kim. If anybody wants some more information on how that all works, as well as some examples and so forth, we do have that paper that Craig wrote called Understanding the Impact of Negative Returns on Super Tax Components, and that's available on the First Tech site. Or if you have any questions, you can give the First Tech team a call. Thanks very much, everybody. Thanks, Talk everyone. Later. Bye. Thanks for listening to the First Tech Podcast. Please remember, these podcasts are designed for authorised financial advisors. If you're not an authorised financial advisor, you need to remember that any scenarios considered during this podcast were for purely hypothetical and illustrative purposes only and do not constitute a recommendation to purchase, hold or sell any financial products or take any other course of action. And finally, you should read the relevant product disclosure statement before making any investment decision and once again consider talking to a financial advisor. While all care has been taken in preparation of this podcast using sources we believe to be reliable and accurate, no person, including Colonial First Aid Investments Limited or Commonwealth Bank Group of Companies, accepts responsibility for any loss suffered by any person arising from reliance on this information.